This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porn cast where we speak the language of love. That's right, Klingon. I'm your host, Alice Vaughn, and with me, I have two amazing guest hosts. You know them, you love them. We've had them on the show before. Andrew Heaton and Paul Mattingly. How are you guys doing? Kapla! Hija! Igluchmech! Achjajvam! Nuchdech! Maj? Majka? I've exhausted my Klingon, but Paul, if I'm not mistaken, weren't you professionally a Klingon for a while? I was, uh, so I know just enough to get by. I know, like, uh-huh. the basics from the Klingon for the Galactic Traveler and... Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So, like, like you can ask for directions when you're on Quonos or... Uh, I could go, Nuchdach Yuchdapol... Uh-huh. Where do you keep the chocolate? Right. Yeah. That's what I learn in every language. The important questions. Like I, I like to learn. I actually, when I travel, I try to learn how to ask, do I need to be worried about wolves here? That way everybody <laughs> just assumes one. I am so oblivious and parochial that they just sort of like take care of me. I find it's very useful. Do I need to worry about wolves is a great one. I mean, that's. Cuidado los obos. I think that's the word. I don't remember. The old Klingon proverb of, uh. Trust, but verify the exits. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I started doing Duolingo's version of Klingon, but I couldn't get too far in. I'm just not really good at mastering the basics. I didn't realize they even had that on Duolingo. Yeah. Wow. I started during the pandemic. I was like, I'm going to learn a new language, and I didn't, just like everyone else. You picked the right one. <laughs> The Klingon Language Institute would often come by Star Trek The Experience, which is where I was a professional Klingon for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And they would they would give me big binders filled with expansive uh, editions of what they had gone on to improve on what Mark Orkrand had started with the Klingon language. And eventually, when we go to war with Germany again, and we have to have code talkers that are uh, able to cut through and, and no one can quite – like, you will become the code talker, Paul. My skills might be called upon then yeah, a little yeah. bit, but I'm not, I'm nowhere near the level of expertise that those Klingon Language Institute guys. Wow. They really fascinating. They're pretty cool. Yeah. I think the most important takeaway is that just like any other language, uh, the most important thing to learn first is the curse words. Yeah. The cursing is the, is the key. Patach, quahom. Bakwa. Mm-hmm. Isn't there one that's like a uh, torcha? Torcha. Totsha, that's it. Yeah. Kudvach. 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 Yeah. I can never get the... It's like I have to hack something from the back of my throat. It would honestly... I, <clears throat> I'm i not going to be able to pull this off exactly right, but it would, uh, this is the this is the re- register that I would go to to be the character day in and day out. And it would take me basically a day of being in this this voice and screaming and oh, all this, you know, to get... And then my, my voice would adjust. And the next day I was, I sounded even better. But it would take me a day after my break to get really sounding good. This is linguistically fascinating because in an intergalactic environment, we can't presume that English becomes the preeminent curse word language. No. Because presently on planet Earth, fuck is universal at this point. There's really very right. few places you can go where it's, if you go, fuck, dick, God damn it, fuck. People know you're mad and they know they know what you're talking about, right? Like like I was in Wales a few years ago and like for some reason the Welsh don't have vowels or curse words. So like if you're if you're up on a bus like north of uh the big cities, you'll just people on the bus are chattering, Welsh, 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 fuck. Welsh, 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 fuck. But if you were intergalactic, that wouldn't necessarily work. You wouldn't know what's going on. So you'd need to know some Klingon. Yeah. And that's a factor of Hollywood, I suppose. The popularity of Hollywood films in a global sense that has probably put fuck on the map. Good job, Hollywood. (laughs) They're getting their job done. One of the few things that has come out of Hollywood, that's good, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, I think the word fuck would eventually become part of our intergalactic language. I really do think so. I think that, you know, it does transcend just, you know, planet Earth. Words are, they're more punchy if they're a single syllable. Yes. Like, to the point where it, it really bothers me, like... Okay, what, like listen to this, I'm, and I'm being as neutral as I can here. Jewish, the Jews. Which one of those sounds very problematic to you? One of them sounds very problematic to me, even though like I think they're both perfectly fine to say. But for some reason, like when it's just one syllable, it's like hmm, that I don't know how I feel about that. So I have to I have to like couch everything. Like Jewish people, see that sounds fine. I have to do that. Well, as a Jew, 
<laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to say that's loud. Oh, thank God. Whew. <laughs> we want to make sure for anyone listening to this, we are not anti-Semitic on this podcast. We might be anti a lot of other things, though. Oh, heavens no. No, and I don't think I was anti-Semitic right then. I don't think. Well, you know, the, the, the Klingon language itself is very closely tied to Hebraic texts. And, that you know, Mark Okrand absolutely came from the Jewish faith. And his main focus of study was in Hebraic texts. And so that's what he kind of called from. To- is that where all the chachach is coming from yes. in, in Klingon? Because it sounds like very angry Yiddish to me. And that totally makes sense now. You guys all have to remember the classic Next Generation episode where in an effort to make Worf feel welcome again amongst the humans that are serving on the Enterprise, they set up that holodeck moment where he has to uh, go through the ritual where he right. you know, he never had his ritual and the, and the pain sticks. Yep. All the, the lineup of all the Klingon warriors that stab him with the pain sticks. Do you know uh-huh. the word for pain stick? No. It is an oi knock. Hmm. Oi! So it's, <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, uh, musician John Tesh was one of the extras in that, and they named his character Katesh. <laughs> That's amazing. Paul, I am really looking forward to the three of us like going down rabbit holes of Star Trek information in this episode. Oh, we got some we got some info here. We got like, some I, info. I don't even have notes. I don't remember my blood type. I think it might be L. I don't even know. I don't even know what the blood types are, but my boundless knowledge of Star Trek, which is not as good as Paul's, and I don't know I don't know where I square up compared to Alice, is still pretty good. Mine's weird. I have a lot. It's deep, but it's weird little angles. I'm probably the most amateur out of the three of us, but enthusiastic to be here. Good. The fact that you were taking Klingon on Duolingo gives you a lot of street yeah, cred. Yeah, that's that's You have a lot sure. of nerd cred that you could burn right now. I'm just really glad that I, I've gotten passed over, what is it now, 130 plus episodes where I can finally let my, you know, nerd flag hang. I, I've had to build up this credentials to finally just, you know, keep the audience engaged where they're several minutes in. You know, we haven't even discussed that this is about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole swath of my audience who's listening to this that are like, what language is this? You know what's weird is whenever Paul and I talk about Star Trek, we won't shut the fuck up about porn. Like we start talking all about uh, about Patrick Stewart or something pretty quick and then talking about to, porn. So yeah. that's just it's six to one, half a dozen to the other. Flipping a switch. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you guys haven't realized by now, we are reviewing the Star Trek Next Gen porn parody. I heard about this parody years ago. But I knew in my soul that I couldn't review it until I was far enough into Next Gen. By the way, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to Next Gen. I didn't start until like my late 20s. It was one of these things where I didn't just like binge watch it. I just, I watched it. I absorbed it. I took a week. There was another dinner. I would watch another one. So it's taken me a while to get to this point, but I knew that also it was done so well that I didn't want to waste my inexperience watching one of the most well-done porns that I've probably seen on this show. Just so I'm following you here, you intentionally delayed this porn episode in order to watch the entire back catalog of Star Trek The Next Generation so that you could better contextualize it? Yes. Okay, great. Good. Awesome. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure, what they recommend for everyone. I think we can all agree, you could watch it without the background because they do bring you up to speed. Mm-hmm. But isn't it so much better? Oh, yeah. If you're into Star Trek and if you're if you're a next generation head, you've done a lot of heavy lifting for this film. Mm-hmm. Because you're able to fill in a ton of blanks and feel feel kind of inside baseball with it for sure. Because they do drop some heavy insider stuff. The thing that very much impressed, like I was impressed for multiple reasons with this with this film, but two of the things that stand out to me at the moment are one, probably better CGI than the original Star Trek: The Next Generation. I thought that yep. that was fantastic. The ships were great. Mm-hmm. Second, I was like, if you take out all the fucking, this is actually a decent episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Like it actually, like like they got Sela going on. They kind of like get a couple of loopholes closed, or uh, you know, it's just it's a decent episode. Yeah. Actually, so the writer and director, uh, Sam Hain, he's a massive TNG fan. He Clearly. came up actually with the story first, then put the sex scenes in, which, believe it or not, they don't do in traditional porn. Do they normally like – so I, I haven't been in a porn yet. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. next week. Next, who knows what tomorrow will bring? I've been doing a lot of push-ups. If you're engaged in 
sex with another sex thespian and like you happen to have a banana on hand or something and you're just you're using that do they then incorporate that banana into the plot where they're like well, now we got a banana like that's kind of how it goes oh yeah oh okay 90 percent of porn is improv okay all right nice yeah, yeah. maybe 95 percent. i'm definitely ready yeah ucb <laughs> graduate here Let, let's go i'll drink some gatorade yes and <laughs> But this film is so accurate that it even has an authentic season six star date. Wow. Did they employ an independent dramaturg? (laughs) Because that would also be amazing. I got to say, hats off. That is a commitment to detail and professionalism that I am impressed by in any field and in in particular impressed by in porn. Yeah. It's actually even implied. uh, So some people who've seen the porn and, you know, of course have seen Next Gen. So first off... The director implies that the movie takes place right before the episode True Q and serves as the unofficial sequel to Next Gen's Yesterday's Enterprise. And frankly, I mean, look, after watching this film and watching, you know, Discovery, this stayed true to canon. It's easily as good as Discovery. Oh, my God. Discovery could have taken some notes from oh, this. Oh, man. I, yeah, I, I'm with Paul. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't hate Discovery, but then again, I never finished. I didn't go past the first season. And if it no. was like, do you want to watch another Star Trek porn or watch the second season? I'd probably go with Star Trek porn. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I haven't seen this guy's other uh, film, Prawn, because he did the porn version to Tron. Oh. But he did do The Sex Files, which I loved, which obviously the porn version of the X-Files. And it was equally as good because I think he took the same methodology, wrote the script and realized "Mm, they're, they're, they're fucking. Now, I I know that there are porn awards. Do they have a, like a writing category? And is he, did he win? Ooh, great question. So I couldn't figure out uh, how many awards this film won, but it had to have cleaned up. Uh, And yes, there is a writing category. Great. Okay, then I think they should have, absolutely they should have got it this time. Plus, okay, not not only is it canonical, this is the only porn I've ever seen where several of the porn scenes ends with, yes, I've blown my load. Yes, I've had an orgasm, but I have not achieved the emotional intimacy with you, which I so clearly crave. As in the sex scene between Riker and Troy, where they bang and then she leaves and he wistfully says goodbye, Mzadi, because they're not back together. They're just screwing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, that's that's some melancholic acting there that I had not anticipated giving depth to the film. Yeah, you never normally see that. So one thing I do want to mention is I thought they did great with casting. Like I was looking at Ensign Rowe at one point, I was thinking to myself, holy shit, they actually cast someone who looks exactly like Ensign Rowe. By the way, they hired an actual uh, Picard impersonator. So that's where I can come in a bit. Please do. So Giles is a frequent, was a frequent attendee of Star Trek The Experience and would come to the big conventions in Las Vegas year after year. He is a master of... Patrick Stewart cosplay in all aspects. He would do not only Picard, but he would do Professor Xavier, kitted out with a wheelchair and all. And, you know, that was his shtick, heavy duty Patrick Stewart cosplay. He befriended lots of us who were character performers at the experience. We hung out all the time, uh, would go to dinners and things. I didn't get to know him super well, but I knew him well enough to know that's Giles. And I was freaking out when I saw his name at the top of the thing. I'm like, wait. And then sure enough, I was like, oh boy, I don't want to talk too much out of school here, but he actually did for a while, very seriously date one of our Klingon females from the experience to the point where she traveled out to England to visit with him for a while. He would do the Picard in the Robin Hood outfit from the, the, that episode where that's a Q stop. It's a holodeck one, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a but it's a it's a Q episode. It's got a Q pun. I can't recall the title now. Mm. But you know, with the Merry Man and all that jazz. Did he at least do Detective Picard? He did it all. Dixon Hill. Dixon Hill. Anytime you would see Picard in any kind of different style uniform, and he had it all. He had you know, next gen outfit, later next gen outfit, movie outfits, all of it. You know, formal dress going to weddings, the whole nine. And I think he, he bid on the actual costume that Patrick Stewart had worn for that Robin Hood 
episode. I think he got that actual costume if I don't if I remember right. Uh, that was one of the one of his prized possessions within within his collection was the actual Robin Hood costume. So yeah, I was surprised slash not surprised to see Giles in this adaptation and really just man the memories. I would love to know if Giles knew it was a porn when he did it. I guarantee you he did. Okay, because I, I watched that scene that he's in at the end, which props to them, by the way, on having the forlorn Stuntic. crusher Stunt scene. wiener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's cut. I was like, they're not showing this guy. I don't think that's his penis. And, and then I was like, wait a minute. If they're not showing his penis, that means he probably wasn't in the room during the blowjob scene, which means he may not have theoretically known. Like, he could have thought it was a student film or something. I think he knew. I, You know, he, he again, not to talk too much out of school. But there is definitely a quadrant of Trek fandom that Venn diagram skims the line of the swinger community. Really? Do you yes. have to be married to participate in this community? No. Just, just, okay. just you know. Do but, they meet at the Star Trek convention in Vegas? That's just it. When these people, okay. these people get together year after year, they see each other multiple times a year at different conventions around the, around the globe. Some of them go on cruises. You know, they have Star Trek cruises, all these kind of things. So the opportunities for hookups are abundant. And so it eventually becomes, there's an element. How attractive are these people, like, theoretically, because we just finished lockdown? Runs the gamut. Okay. Runs the gamut. Right. That's the whole thing. You've got... Because I'm thinking everybody's pent up from lockdown. So, like, maybe I will go to Vegas. I don't know. Go on the cruise. You'll have a better time. You've got your, you know, everybody from the typical, very stereotypical, basically me in a in a Trek outfit trying to squeeze into a next-gen outfit now. Go on. The spandex thing. Or you've got people who can just straight up pull off Orion Slave Woman without any of this, just, you know, throw on some makeup and they're there. You know, so as far as uh, physical standards, it's it runs the gamut, truly. So, gentlemen, before we start diving into this porn, if someone has never watched Next Gen, why should they watch Next Gen? At this point, to weep over the folly of thinking humanity can rise above itself I, I'm going I'm to put a slightly more positive spin on this, may I? <laughs> Please. So, hello, audience. If you were unschooled in Star Trek and you're coming at this like most people through pornography rather than having grown up with it, let me say that Star Trek is effectively the twilight zone on a spaceship. What I mean by that is that Star Trek, particularly the original series, but also Star Trek The Next Generation, is coming down to a planet and exploring some kind of particular premise or thought experiment. What would happen if there was a planet run entirely by pubescent children? Or what, what would happen if on this planet, everyone's toaster is in charge of their household? Something like that. And it's a way to, by being the observers of these alien worlds, we're able to better understand ourselves. Like with most science fiction, science fiction is ultimately an exploration of humanity empowered by the fact that you're stepping outside of humanity to look at it. And Star Trek The Next Generation is great at that. I don't think I could put better words to it. And it's so philosophical as opposed to its earlier predecessors, which were more like cowboyish and more action oriented. They just explore so many different topics that they still hold up. I mean, you could watch them today and you feel as if, you know, it was still produced nowadays in the modern age. I would argue that the closest thing I've possibly seen to Star Trek on the TV screen is... I want to say Seth MacFarlane's Orville. The Orville. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. And yeah, he's that's... a huge Next Gen fan. Mm-hmm. For me, that is the true successor to Next Generation. Yeah. It is far superior to anything that uh, Paramount has cranked out in the last umpteen years, in my opinion. Uh, you know, even though it's a little tongue in cheek and a little silly, it's still it, some of those episodes are just. Yeah. And um, if you're a sci fi fan, if you're a Star Wars person, like I'm, I've got toes in both camps absolutely but the way i always frame it to those who are new to trek is that star wars is mythology star trek is social commentary well put that's the difference when it's when both are at their best star trek's kind of satire you're right whereas like star wars is like joseph campbell hero's journey supposed to be Uh, right that's the thing and so what's happened unfortunately of late is that Star Wars has tried its best to become this social commentary thing instead of Ugh. these grand myth plays, which they were originally designed for. And Trek is going too much into the the violence of the hero's journey, which it is a violent thing, right? You know, the, the hero's journey is a violent expression of self. 
a realization of self through violence. Call that what you will. But Trek was never that hyper-violent back in the day. It is now crazy violent, which I don't get. Yeah. I haven't been able to watch the recent films because of that. It's just, it's such a disconnect for me. Yeah. And, and the only reason I can roll with the Abrams verse is because it is a separate reality. I guess that's the only way you can process it. Yeah. Or it's like, well, this isn't the same reality. I guess let's start analyzing this film. So, gentlemen, one of you set the scene. So, first off, I I love that we opened up and it felt already, you know, like a Star Trek episode where you had Picard narrating. We had a beautiful shot of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. But we happened to see... Picard narrating that there's electromagnetic energy emitting from a barren M-class planet along the Romulan neutral zone. By the way, I know that's gibberish to a handful of you listening to this. But it is it is a specific location within the Star Trek universe. And what do they find on this barren M-class planet? They find a weird radiation signature and yeah. they pop open a box and find a woman therein who has been in suspended animation for some length of time that they're able to determine through Star Trek jargon, which is very Star Trek-y. Where, you know, they're like, well, the tachyon emissions indicate that she's been in a sedentary state for over eight years. And you're like, what the? But they, like, still completely within Star Trek. And I loved how it was just such a great setup. And then eventually they roll into that first sex scene with, you know, Riker and Deanna Troy, which... You know, also uh, props to hiring the actors because I felt like a lot of the actors looked like who yeah. they were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. By the way, April O'Neil is also a massive Next Gen fan, so I'm so glad they cast her as Deanna Troy in this. And a stone-cold fox. That was, yeah, good job, her. My one disappointment. So the woman they found in a box, Tasha Yar, what the fuck was up with her wig? That was a shame. It was bad. Out of all the costuming. Yeah, it was just that wig. It was really, really weird. You know what's great, though? I've never, like, I like the actor who portrays Tasha Yar, and she does very fine work in documentaries about Star Trek, which are super fun, by the way. If you are a Star Trek fan, Trekkies is a great film to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, at least Trekkies 1, it's fun. Trekkies 2, they're kind of laughing at us. Trekkies 1, they're laughing with us. And she's the the, the host of it. Um, but I never liked Tasha Yar. I just wasn't into her character. And it proved true with the porn as well, where I was like, yeah, I just, I, just, I, I am not beguiled by this character at any level in porn or not. No. Maybe that was intentional, giving her a bad wig. Maybe. Well, that was, you know, she was very much Roddenberry's favorite. Really? He doted on her, uh, the the performer, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately kind of why she left. Was, I think oh, he had, was he had, it that kind of? Th oh, okay. No, 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 I don't think that. I think he had blown her head up so much that she was like, well, I can go take over Hollywood. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was a bit of that. He really saw her. And then also kind of just, again, to reiterate the whole um, swingers thing they come by it natural because you know roddenberry was notoriously a man about town he he, mm. he got with several several ladies over his uh his lifetime he and so it's sort of in the dna of trek over three it, yes beautiful beautiful wow. women beautiful Whoa. women uh that vibe for him very much in the dna of mm. of the original series and next gen 2 I love also the attention to detail they had when it came to not just only the casting, but also the different scenery. I mean, everything from Picard's office, the bridge, mm -hmm. the holodeck. I, I felt like everything just made you feel as if you were in the Trek universe. The planet looked like all two of the planets which exist within the Star Trek universe. Mm -hmm. There are two. One of them is a green-skied planet that looks like the inside of a studio that is also used as a Western. The other planet is Southern California. These are the two planets that exist, and it was very much the Southern California variant. And I was like, yeah, this totally looks like – it might very well be where they filmed that episode. It could be. Yeah, it, it felt pretty convincing. I get, again, I'm spoiled because I lived on the bridge for a decade. And we had two replica bridges uh, created at the experience because the original ride split groups off into two so they could mm. double the capacity, right? Mm. So either you went to one bridge or the other and then on to the next. Eventually, they built a second ride, stopped the one that was the Klingon encounter. They still had the Klingon encounter, but they also then they added a board 4D. And so they cut half of the experience off. However, they kept both bridges intact. So they had two replica Enterprise D bridges inside the attraction. And then one became primarily used for events and weddings. Hmm. 
cool. Is it still eligible for events and weddings? Everything got gutted. That whole place got destroyed after it's it's the greatest tragedy of my life. Well, yeah, I was gonna say I hope that someone at least like bought it wholesale and it's in a warehouse or something. There are bits and pieces throughout, but you can find a, a scary amount of stuff on uh, eBay. Nefarious parties did some real buzzard picking on that thing. It's a shame, as uh, you know. Paramount got some of the stuff back, uh, some of the stuff that was in the History of the Future Museum, which was a timeline that encapsulated the entire history of Star Trek. You could kind of go episode by episode and relearn all the major events that went on. And then it had all these props and costumes from the different timelines and stories. So a lot of that did end up going back to Paramount here and there. And some of it is on tour again. There are different Earth tours that they have where they display chunks of trek memorabilia so just a smaller version of what we had uh kind of so but unfortunately so much stuff was lost mm. it was and it was just absolute horrible mismanagement and corporate greed period the place never lost money they kept raising the prices but it never lost money you know it never became super super profitable but it wasn't losing money mm-hmm. and so come 2008 they made the decision to axe it and it was you know months away from the release of the Abrams film, the first Abrams film. And I've never understood that decision at all. If someone had the foresight to keep it going, it would still be raking in the dough at this point. Now it would be, it would be far more popular than before. I would honestly be three to four times as likely to visit Vegas on a regular basis if that was there. I, I went there. You were probably the, the Klingon waiter at the time, Paul. Uh, you may have seen me. If, if you saw a singing Klingon at the bar, yeah. you saw me. We interacted more with a with a Ferengi, but I remember okay. there was a Klingon. I'll go I'll back I'll go back through my photos, see if I can spot you. But but like uh, my friends and I, we did it. We were in L.A. for a play that we drove to Vegas explicitly for this. We didn't mm-hmm. want to go gambling or anything. Then we did it. We just went on the ride until it closed. We just went on it again and again and yeah, again. Yeah, you could get yeah, yeah, like, un- unlimited pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And totally would have gone back. Totally would have gone back. Truth be told, I'll be honest with you guys. I skip any of the Ferengi episodes. I hate them. I can't stand Ferengi. Well. That's by design. They were supposed to be the big bads. You know, mm-hmm. that was the original intention was they were going to be the great evil of the new series. And Armin Shimmerman, famously, he was one of the first Ferengi in there with his Marauder Mo laser whip, uh-huh. old school, crazy BS Ferengi design. And they told him about the ending of the, of the episode where they were going to use the sonic disruptor to kind of make them hurt their ears. And, and he said, you know, he said, then you're going to grab your ears and you're going to wail and scream and, wah, and all this kind of stuff. And Armin Shimmerman basically told the director at that point, was like, if we do this, these characters will be a laughing stock. They will not have any fear potential anymore. They will not be scary villains. If they scream and cry and hold their ears, there's no going back. That's not a bad guy. That's a that's a silly comic relief thing and they filmed it that way anyway and sure enough it very much deflated any possibility for Ferengi to become these truly evil creatures they've become very much comic relief down the line I do like that they you know eventually introduced the Romulans and the Romulans became those big bads um, Mm -hmm. you know next to the Borgs Mm -hmm. the Romulans for uh, listeners who've never seen Trek I mean they are a breed of humanoids correct they're, they're humanoids, Vulcans. but they're they're cousins with the Vulcans. Yeah, they're, they're basically Vulcans, Vul- yes. Vulcans and Romulans split up ten thousand years ago, and Vulcans became like the hyper stoics that suppress their emotion through rigorous logic, whereas Romulans have never attempted to do that, but also aren't that emotional either. They're just kind of dicks. I don't know. It's it's, it's but, but I'm not criticizing. It's still it's still interesting. Yeah, they only held on to the bad emotions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, technologically advanced dicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much. Whereas like like Klingons, I feel like are like a whole civilization of sixteen year old boys. Like imagine if like a locker room got to become a planet. That's Quonos. See, that was the thing. When I was a walk around character, I'd have to explain stuff to people. And I had to, you know, he had three series during my run there. We had uh, the end of Deep Space Nine, the end of Voyager and the beginnings and end of Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah. So I had to keep up on all that stuff because people coming through the ride would quiz you and things and make sure you knew your stuff. <laughs> of course they would. So you had to stay on top of it. You had to really tell them you knew what was up. And I would get these different questions. So I had, you know, all these different answers. You know, what a, the color of, of Klingon blood? Because it varies. Well, it's pink in the undiscovered country. And that was And that was to get a PG-13 rating. Right. But my really? thing was, my whole thing was, you know, look to your veins, human. 
that appears as though there would be blue fluid within that. But let it come in contact with oxygen and watch the color change. It's completely dependent upon the atmosphere in which blood is discharged as to its color. Hmm. So that was my get around for that. Nice. And then uh, when it came to your thing, Andrew, of, you know, what's the culture like on Kronos? I was like, not everyone hears the cry of Kalos in their blood. Not everyone is called to be a warrior. Some must bake the bread. We are as diverse a society as you, but you only come in contact with the warrior class that have gone forth and explored out beyond the, the lines of Kronos. Yeah, that, no, that is a good point. That, that's like trying to understand England entirely through the soccer hooligans that get drunk at other exactly. locations in Europe, which, by the way, is exactly how Europe understands England. We're the only only the English speaking world thinks the English are like incredibly sophisticated. Most other cultures view them as like marauding drunkards that fall through tables during football matches. And uh, yeah, yeah, if you're, if you're just taking those those little emblematic things or uh, yeah, those anecdotal things. Yeah, kind of fun to uh to watch that whole process. And uh, one of those great things about Star Trek, you're able to always, sometimes to Star Trek's detriment, always find exceptions to the rule and breaking of preconceived notions and stereotypes regarding different species. So that's it. Look, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit. However, we are talking about Klingons and there is a Klingon sex scene between Worf and Ensign Roe Larson. Klingons are supposed to have two penises, from my understanding, because they have two of everything when it comes to all organs. Not necessarily. Paul, that's perfect, because you have two penises, and you I know. got to be a Klingon. That's amazing. Did you incorporate that in your act? This is just, it was, was one of those happy accidents. Wow. One of those happy accidents, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew I recognized you as Double Dick Dude on Reddit. Yeah. It's me. That's an old reference. The, <laughs> the thing about all that, internal organs... They have a redundant system set up. So, yeah. Wait, so they've got a backup cock? Internal organs. Oh, internal. There's backups of everything, but not necessarily external. Okay. There's like an eight-chambered heart, quad, lungs, what have you, and a lot of the other stuff. A lot of the the really move-the-body-forward stuff is Mm. redundant. Redundant systems. Okay. You know, they have two heads, four eyes, eight nostrils. You know, they're not just double humanoids. Right, wait, but so so if a cock gets vaporized, then does the other one like slide into place, or does I don't it grow- know if they can lizard like grow back appendage. That's never been a thing. I don't think they can because, and as much as they have redundant systems, not everything is redundant. Right, but if there's but if there's an internal, I'm just trying to figure out what the internal penis does. Is it a backup where if the if the main penis is broken, the internal penis can like come in? I don't know if that that's how it works because remember when Worf broke his back, he basically told Alexander to kill him. And so he didn't have a backup for the back. He's got one spine. Hmm. You know what I okay. mean? So hmm. it's not a perfect dual, you know, it's not a, a fail repeat. It's not like a run flat tire on everything. Uh, it's just, you know, some some Klingon stuff can fail and they're dead. Got it. Well, actually, and this makes sense. So, I mean, this was made and produced in 2011. And this was prior to Discovery. And I know in Discovery, they tried confirming that Klingons do have through like a silhouette scene where the, like one of the Klingons had two streams of urine. Wait. Oh, okay. I was about to say. Oh, I, yeah. Wow. Oh, really? Yes. Well, that, that could also mean they've got prostate issues. Okay. Fair enough. Although I do like, okay, my, my eyes got so big when you said silhouette scene. I was like, did they do like, Austin like, Powers? like shadow puppet cocks? I was like, man, my guy should go watch this Discovery. This is amazing. I would assume they're implying that he has either prostate issues or two genitals. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a running thing. I'm sure that there are camps that would say, yeah, of course, Klingons have two dicks, I guess. So if it's an external dick, is this implied by the shadow puppet reference, then does that mean that lady Klingons have two vaginas? Because that complicates things, too, for those those of us humans that want to go go uh, get some strange on alien planets. Right. Uh, not necessarily. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Or it could be a duck situation where there's just one but two different paths and you have to have mm. the right equipment to make it through the maze. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Look, all I'm saying is, Andrew, there are plenty of women out there that um, Klingons would be able to satisfy certain needs. <laughs> Let's talk about holodeck ethics because Jordy fucks Leah Brom. Yeah, which great callback, by the way. That's such a specific one episode reference. Okay, maybe it's just me, 
But so do you remember when he finally met in Star Trek, uh, Leah Brom? And mm-hmm. it was really creepy because right. he had only up until then interacted with her hologram. Yeah, very awkward. And he had basically fallen in love with the hologram uh, instead of Leah, the person. So he had this weird vibe. I'm not going to lie. This gave up very nice guy vibes. Mm. Yeah, well, like, and I think that they actually did a great job of, like, casting for this. Because, like, I've always got the impression Jordy LaForge is not great with women, right? Like, I like Jordy, but Jordy actually kind of strikes me as a guy that probably hasn't had very many girlfriends. He's slightly awkward. Like, he, he's the guy when all when everybody goes to 10 forward or whatever and they're two-stepping because it's two-step night, they're like, Jordy, look at that girl dancing. You should go dance with him. He's like, no, 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 I, I, no, 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 no. Maybe later I'll get a drink, right? Like, he's kind of scared of women. Um, The guy that played Jordy in the porn, I, I thought did a great job of, like, also being that kind of, like, I don't know, just not quite massive, throbbing, animalistic porn star vibe to him. Uh, Like, I, I thought that they did that well. They definitely nailed the, I don't know how to speak to women, so I'm going to create one. Yeah, yeah. That whole thing with Leah Brahms, that was basically just a continuation of what really went down in the episodes. Right. It was never, certainly never canonically locked in, but you got the feeling that Jordy might have boned down on the hologram Leah Brahms at some point. And this is, I think, where the ethics really get good, right? Because I'm not, I think the ethics are much more clear cut with boning a simulacrum that does not think. Because you're basically you're masturbating to pictures of your friend's girlfriend on Facebook. That's mm-hmm. what that is. That's, ethically speaking, that's what's going on. But but in the Star Trek universe, holodeck characters have a range of sentience to them. So in Deep Space Nine, you've got Vic Fontaine, who is self-aware, and they have to go save. In Star Trek The Next Generation, Moriarty is self-aware, and they eventually put him in his own little cube so he can go on these adventures and probably realizes what's happening and is locked in hell. They never deal with it again. Right. Uh, and then you've got other ones that are just like, you know, kind of booted up uh, NPC background actor type characters. And they never quite establish where the bright line is. The, the implication is, although they never spell it out, the implication is, is that if you just leave a character running long enough, it will develop sentience. But then this begets another question of like, all right, so if I if I produce this NPC character that I'm going to have sex with, like once, and it's not, there's no thinking involved, great. But if you're creating an actual sentient creature to have sex with, to what extent is that consensual? And to what extent do you have an obligation to such a creature that you're bringing into existence? It's weird because there's, um, we know that lots of holograms are essentially mindless AIs. And as you mentioned, you know, if the program is left running long enough, they start developing feelings and intelligence just like any other humanoid. Mm -hmm. And I guess figuring out when the former becomes the latter is key, but it's, they never really established that, I feel like, in, Mm. and I could be wrong. Well, that's a whole plot line in in Voyager when, you know, the doctor who the longest running EMH in history. And so he becomes very self-aware and then he finds those replications of himself on that planet that are, they're being, they're all being utilized for slave labor and mines. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of is beside himself. It's like, this is just slavery. This is crazy. These are sentient creatures that should have their own autonomy. Yeah. It's a really weird line. And especially, you know, and Jordy's thing is very unique too with Leah Brahms because he's recreating an actual human being using that human being's history, knowledge, interactions with computers. And so how much of that is her, how much of that is not her. And then, you know, when he meets her in real life later, he gets very presumptive of his relationship with her because of his previous relationship with the simulation. And she's very different in temperament and very offended when she discovers that he's created this fake her to manipulate and interact with. Even though ostensibly he made that version of her to help him figure out technical problems on the Enterprise, which she did. She was basically asked Jeeves for the computer's problems on the Enterprise, but he took it to the next level. It's a great thing to discuss and think about. It's interesting because also, I mean, arguably, Jordy is fucking a mindless Leah Brahm AI. But what if he gets to a point where the program decides it develops autonomy and it no longer wants to have sex with you anymore? Right. What then? You just deactivate it, which is to say murder it because it doesn't want to have sex with you anymore? Or is it worse to modify it? 
It's arguably a fate worse than death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what they what they ought to have is they ought to have like a, a warning in there where they're like, hey, everybody, get in here, get in here. Okay, we have to have a quick HR meeting. Sorry, we're going to go back to Listen, we all fuck in the holodeck. Can we just say it? We all fuck in the holodeck. We all do it. We all do it. It's fine. Here's the deal, though. You cannot leave any character running for more than six hours continuously. That's the absolute max. If it goes more than that, you're fucking a person. They don't know that they're big. They, they don't know what's going on. It, it Really, it's just a nightmare Reboot it. That's fine. You could reboot it. I don't know why I have to keep saying this. It's fine to reboot the sex holograms. Just don't let them run past six hours. <laughs> it's a weird problem to have. <laughs> so what we're saying is, given the size and scope of the Federation, we're only dealing with a few million hollow sle- sex slaves, not tens of billions. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a hopeful estimate, I guess. Yeah. I guess my bigger question is, how frequently is a holodeck sanitized? <laughs> Ooh. They've got exocomps to do that. To, to go back to the uh, the Jordi LaForge episode with the uh, Leo Robs. Yeah, they've got little, basically they've got cum Roombas that they just zip around picking stuff up. You would hope. Just like you have at home listening. That would be an excellent uh, thing to check out with like uh, Boothby the groundskeeper at uh, Star Trek Academy. Lord knows those, uh, those teenage and early 20-something Starfleet <laughs> recruits have yeah. got to be really just utilizing the hell out of the holodecks. To bring in another series, uh, Lower Decks, which which I I don't I actually don't think is that funny, but I have seen a couple episodes of it. They allude to this, like one of the job, like like because like on Voyager, the job that you always punish people with, whenever whenever Janeway's pissed off, she makes them scrub the Jeffries tubes. This right. is apparently the, the, the latrine duty of the Delta Quadrant, right? And so the the equivalent in Lower Decks is to clean the holodeck, and like I don't remember how they do it, but they strongly imply that she's very grossed out by the amount of semen that she's having to mop up. Basically, a, a jizz mopper. Yeah, yeah. That's why you got to get those cum Roombas. <laughs> that you would think by the 24th century we would have come rumors. Yeah, I have one. I mean, yeah, come on, guys. Come, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is also as someone who's a former owner of a Roomba, I'm horrified at the concept of cleaning out a cum Roomba. <laughs> That's why, okay, that's why you have a cum Roomba Roomba. It's, a, right. it's another automated robot that takes care of these things. Uh, it's about seven feet tall. It stays in your closet. Once a month it comes out, mm-hmm. opens the thing, mm-hmm. puts it all down the toilet. You don't have to watch any of it. You do it while you're out. That's cool. Just don't leave the cum Roomba Roomba running more than six hours or yeah, develop sentience and you can't done. have sex with it or it's unethical. <laughs> I want to watch some TV, too. Why do I have to keep doing this? <laughs> I'll be over in a minute. The cum Roomba Roomba wants to watch a game show. It loves Jeopardy. It needs, uh, it needs at least, yeah. Especially now that uh, LeVar Burton is on Jeopardy. The moment that we've been impatiently waiting for. Yes. I'll still never forget when I was watching Community and they had LeVar Burton on and they had Donald Glover's character uh, freaking out because he never wanted to meet LeVar Burton. Just like he loved LeVar Burton so much. He didn't want to ruin. Sure. Keep that perfect image. By meeting him. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Never Um, meet your heroes. Yeah, that's yeah. how I was with Paul, and oh, not. Mm. So <laughs> one of the characters gets him like a meet and greet, and he's like, "I just wanted a picture." <laughs> it's a running joke. It's fantastic. <laughs> Speaking of fucking robots, uh, mm. let's talk about Data and Tasha Yar. So first yes. off, uh, props to my friend uh, Xander Corvus for playing Data because he showed absolutely no emotion as he was boning a woman. Right. Zero. Just like Data would have. It's very difficult for men to have sex without having an immediate, intense emotional connection with the person. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah. that's a real Master acting skill. Being, yeah. yeah, that's uh, a good job. <laughs> <laughs> but he did, he did a really admirable job. It's pretty funny. I just love that there's a meme out there, a little cartoon out there. You know, it's got a vending machine, like a row of vending machines. And there's signage on the vending machines. Please do not bang the machines. And the next image is Tasha Yar with a grumpy face on, you know, and it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's cracks me up every time. <laughs> that is a weird situation that came out later within Next Gen. It wasn't an immediate thing. I don't think I've actually seen that episode. Now, now that I, I think about it, I'm aware of the episode. I don't believe I've seen it. Well, they don't. It never happens in an episode where you see them like skulking off together. Oh, okay. And I guess it's implied that it happened during. The Naked Now, mm-hmm. I believe that's the episode title because there was The Naked Time and then The Naked Now was the next-gen update. Everybody goes sex man, basically. 
I mean, I guess it, maybe it's likely implied during that episode, but it's never for sure, for sure that she and Data got it on. I, I feel like Star Trek would be very good at indirect witty puns about that. Of yeah. like, yeah, Data's fully functional or whatever. That like, was I, it, I yeah. It, there was all that. But I don't know how clear it was to how many characters. Sort of like, you know, Prince Adam is only known to Orko and Man-at-Arms. That's gotta just like send Jordy LaForge into a tailspin of <laughs> that masturbatory holodeck wanking. Of just wait, what? My best guy without emotions. You banged him. What did he do? He didn't even do anything. What what do I have to do? Yeah, it's a little weird. It's a lot weird. But they definitely implied in I recall Next Gen multiple times. uh, You know, various different sex scenes. You know, between a number of different characters. You know. Oh sure. So it's weird because I'm with you, Andrew, in that camp of I feel like I saw the episode, but it was so nonchalant where you you could vaguely remember it and mm. because it just it wasn't like oh yeah they're gonna go bang now it's like the mandela effect except with red spider coming mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Who, which, by the way, your friend Xander did a very good job of mastering Brent Spiner's mannerisms, of tilting his head at the right time. And the, the acting was very good throughout this episode. I have to say, everyone did a wonderful job. Pants or no pants on at any given time. I was very impressed. I have seen many fanfic versions of Star Trek that weren't porns that were worse than this in terms of acting and certainly in terms of special effects. Oh, yeah. I think the only special effect that bothered me at one point was the entire premise of this is that Tasha Yar is back. They don't know why, because they found her in this box. And this is also, uh, and they explain this within the porn, that this is a Tasha Yar from a different parallel universe that came into this universe. There was a whole episode about it. And, you know, she was eventually captured by a Romulan that kept her as a sex slave. She had a daughter. She tried escaping with her daughter and it's presumed she died. Mm -hmm. But then there was that whole situation with her daughter towards the end. Surprise, her mom's back because she's using her mother as a transmitting device and Sila, her daughter, comes onto the screen. When her daughter comes onto the screen, tell me I'm wrong. It looks like they filmed it in... um, Poseidon's Fury at Islands of Adventure in the background? (laughs) Could be. That might well be. I don't remember that, but that could be. I'm staring at it thinking, where have I seen this before? And then I realize I've been to Poseidon's Fury at Islands of Adventure several times. That is the background. I cannot think she's anywhere else. She's definitely not on a Romulan ship. She's at Islands of Adventure. That, well, like, where was this filmed? Maybe so. I mean, I just assumed it was Southern California. Maybe it was, is that in Vegas, Poseidon Islands of Adventure? No. Florida. Yeah. Florida. Wow, maybe it's in Florida. I think just could have used a stock image of that and stuck it in the background. It's green screen. <laughs> Don't ruin this for me, Paul. I mean, or, or they could have done it there. But it was, uh, it was definitely different looking, but interesting. And there was such a nice tie-up because eventually um, they put out a tachyon blocker so that way they can no longer control the mother who, you know, becomes like a weapon onto the ship. Mm-hmm. And Tasha dies, but her death was so good and such a punch in the gut to Next Gen because she ends with, my death finally has meaning mm-hmm. for anyone who's watched Next Gen. She gets killed by like a sentient oil slick. Armist. Yeah. Yeah. There's like kind of like a like a petroleum swamp monster that kills her, as I recall. Yep. Yep. For no good reason, kind of thing. Yeah. And on top of that, there's also a little bit more pathos, right? This is a, a porn film that has some melancholic pathos to it. And she says data, that is her last word, or at least uh, her penultimate word, right? Right. And so data has to reflect upon this of why was my name uttered? Why why of what importance do I have in this equation? Well, now that that doesn't make any damn sense to me because he's got a little holographic shrine to her that he keeps. Like, that's already been established. I don't remember that. Please elaborate, Paul. No, he does. He has a Tasha Yar hologram. Huh. It's about three inches tall that he keeps that he'll turn on from time to time to reminisce. She can talk to him? No, but it's just a three-dimensional holographic picture of mm, her. Okay, right. And yeah. like he wouldn't be questioning why he was imp- – and he just boned down again. Why am I important to her? He knows. Mm. He knows. It's been a really – tricky line that they've walked with him forever. That might just, okay, in his defense, all right, in his defense, when you're st- you're first learning about fears of commitment and fears of intimacy, you don't necessarily know how they're going to manifest. Maybe that's it. Like, she's dead, but his brain doesn't completely positronically link the two things, and he's like, hey, we're not that close. 
Okay. Right. Well, th- that's that's always been the, the data dilemma is how dumb do you make him? Hmm. And you watch those early seasons where one one episode he's got it all down and the next episode he's like, well, why do you put butter on toast? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's just a writer thing, you know, writer to writer. Yeah. They're not keeping up. Or like the claim that he doesn't have emotions like he clearly does. It's just that they're very muted. The desire to become more human would appear to be something of an emotion. Uh, being happy that he's seeing Jordy, you know, like he clearly enjoys Jordy's company. It's just that he has a limited emotional range that's augmented by the memory chip in Star Trek Generations, a fine film. Right, right. I find it always sad that he was never able to get the full chip from his creator implanted into him mm-hmm. and that his brother stole it. Mm, yeah, Lore's a piece of shit. Yeah. Yes. Lore's the worst. But he does get the chip eventually. He does get it in Generations. Oh, does he? Oh, he okay. you haven't seen the films? Uh, no. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, it's okay. I'm fine with spoilers. It's this is not a huge part of the film. Like the, I'm not spoiling the big thing. It's a weird part though, because they because mm-hmm. Jordy has an emotion chip that they can turn on for him, and that, I mean it is the crux of his last temptation of Data, basically, the fact that that chip can be manipulated by the Borg Queen to give him sensations and emotions he's never felt, and mm-hmm. she tempts him to join the collective just like Lore did, to mm-hmm. really crack open that human experience for himself. You, you need to watch those Generations of Star Trek First Contact are excellent films. Well, well not Generations. I like Generations. First Contact. I think it's a great film. We're talking about First Contact. First Contact. Well, but Generations is where he Generations. gets the, Exactly. Yeah. Generations, he gets the he chip. He gets the chip, but it gets First turned Contact, off. he has the ability to turn it off, and the Borg Queen yeah. is trying to seduce him through it. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do both films happen after season six? After season seven. After sorry, yeah. after season seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So I'll watch them once I'm done with season seven. Yeah, I'll get there. Yeah. My also my brain hasn't been completely ruined by yet seeing uh, Worf uh, date Deanna. So hmm. that's where I am in the process. I'm on like season five and a half, six. He burns through the Parmox. He got a Parmakai for days. That fool. So. Really, I, I guess, like, the only other thing to discuss is, like, the wrap-up where, you know, afterwards uh, we have Picard reflecting in his office. I was surprised that uh, they opted for a flute instead of Earl Grey tea. Oh, well, you haven't seen the last episode. or You, you, you haven't not seen, seen the light then. Yeah. Because this is, this is Star Trek at its finest. I'd, I'd, I'd say it's, the, it's probably my favorite episode of yeah, the next, it's next the generation. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to spoil any of it for you because it's a truly wonderful episode. I'm okay with it. It's been out long enough. You could spoil it for me. Yeah, I, but I'm no, not okay with it. No, I don't want to yeah, spoil it for no, you. No, you got to see but the we'll, we'll say that the, the flute has specific emotional significance to Picard. Uh, Captain Picard yeah. that, that you, you, will, you will encounter. And I am jealous of you able to encounter it uh, afresh. Yeah. Okay. Well... I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, I have to say, though, it was interesting to know that uh, for some reason it didn't register in my brain because I always skip the sex scenes that they were using a stunt cock for Picard's scene. Mm -hmm. But then having watched it a second time, I was like, yep, clearly you couldn't see Picard throughout the entire portion. So, yep, stunt penis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Giles wouldn't have done it. No. So I can be in porn. Uh Uh-huh. Great. They're always looking for extras. Awesome. Okay, cool. It doesn't pay well. No. I've been a real background extra, or I, I shouldn't say real. I've been a, a, a real non-porn background extra that didn't pay well either. Perfect. You're qualified. Great. Maybe overqualified. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope I'm overqualified. Let us hope I am overqualified to be an extra at a porn. I really hope I'm above that threshold in my career. <laughs> I mean, you don't even have to necessarily do porn to be in porn. I mean, as uh, our friend, have I introduced you to Kate yet? To who? Cake? Kate Kennedy. I don't think so. I will. Okay. So she does, for example, so aside from she used to be a porn actress, she also used to just sometimes be on set and they would say, oh, by the way, while you're here, can you narrate? Uh, Because this girl can't read. So you could be a porn narrator. This raises some other questions too. First of all, I think I'd be a great narrator. Then she released him from his denim prison. Yeah, I think I'd be great at that. Um, Wait, when you say she can't read, like she's not good at reading or like literally illiterate? Oh, no, no, no. Kate can read, but some girls on set just do not have the um, dictation and inflection to read properly and and narrate. So, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that that was indeed the situation. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'm, this is not a rumor. Porn girls are not illiterate. Right. Okay. Good. Yes. It's the wrestling manager situation. You know, you get guys who have all the in-ring chops, but just 
can't hack it on the mic, can't cut a promo to save their lives. So you pair them up with a manager who's got a silver tongue and that mm. they become their mouthpiece. Mm. Sorry, and now I'm just thinking about all the times men have jerked off to women, like narration and, you know, the intros, and it's just not even the same woman. <laughs> Trickery. Not that it makes a difference, I guess. <laughs> but, oh, and then if you need to ever write porn scripts, I have someone who will pay you 50 bucks a script. Hmm, okay. <laughs> if you're bored. I mean, you know what? Like, I, I think uh, you should always be challenging yourself to do new things, and that sounds like it would actually be an interesting thing. Particularly if it got made. Oh, it will get made. Okay, cool. This sounds like a fun project. <laughs> Have they done a Battlestar Galactica porn parody yet? Oh, that's a great question. Let me check. Hold on. Possibly? Yeah, it, they, they did. It was called The Plan. <laughs> that movie. I hated that movie so what? much. What? Really? I loved it. I love Dean Stockwell. I think he's brilliant. It exists. That movie was just an excuse for Dean Stockwell to kiss on people. It was gross. I couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was, I thought Dean Stockwell's great. He does this weird thing where his, like his bottom eyelid can shoot up more than any other human's <laughs> bottom eyelid. It's just this bizarre, like, yeah, we could. Yeah, it's so bizarre. No, I, I love it. I, I love me some Dean Stockwell. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, level two Battlestar fan, but that movie. I guess if you're a huge Dean Stockwell fan, I like mm-hmm. Dean Stockwell, but I was like, mm-hmm. you're just living out some fantasies here, pal. Well, you, and just, just you wait till I take that and I add some fucking and sucking. I think you'll be very impressed with the final product. I would be fine if they, you know, take off the veneer of civility. And I insist Dean Stockwell is in it. That is an absolute non-negotiable. He would probably do it at this point. <laughs> yep. What else is he doing? He's been retired for years, Jesus. Has he? He seems virile. I bet he'd come out of retirement. To get his rocks off, he would. Yeah, sure. we'll get into some Ginkgo Biloba. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, he'll be fine. Ginkgo Biloba. <laughs> <laughs> that always reminds me of Zizzy Baluba. Phil Hartman's alien character from Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> I forgot about that. Why was that a blocked memory? Zizzy Baluba. <laughs> Who looks like one of the uh, characters from the cage, the um, the large, what are the, the, the giant brain? The Telosians. The Telosian. He look, yeah. He's basically like a weird Telosian. <laughs> All right. So I think I've talked myself out of this porn. I, I can't think of anything else to comment on. The performance and the the shell, I guess, around the pornography itself was in many, many ways superior to the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't want to totally knock them, but it was better to watch as an episode of Star Trek than it was to watch as a porno. <laughs> I liked it in equal parts. You know what? I would say I liked it in equal parts because I've just I've seen so many poorly done parodies and here you could tell there was so much effort put into everything and so much love except Tashi Yar's wig. Yeah, definitely a lot of heart though too. And and it, and and for longtime fans some serious wish fulfillment when uh Picard and Beverly finally knock boots. Do they ever get together? They sort of do, okay? They, they they do in an alternate universe. Well, okay. They're married in an alternate future. However, that now based off of Picard, we know not to be the case unless they're completely omitting it, which does not seem to be very likely, given that he never, ever mentions her. No. Mm. But everybody else is coming back in that Picard series, so Gates McFadden's got to be on the docket. Who knows? Maybe, yeah. Maybe they're saving her for season three. Then they can do a parody of that and we'll have a MILF program. Oh, Hello. That's what's blowing my mind just in general. Just real quick, just porn talk, real talk. Okay. How many starlets that I have watched that in the span of four years, three years sometimes have gone from starlet to MILF? Uh, sir, it, it wasn't three years. It was one week. What, what is going on with this? Why is it so? What's happened? Look, the difference between a barely legal teen and a MILF is a tight pink t-shirt. That's it. I buy that. You got. I agree. You're absolutely right. Yep. Mm. It's so weird. What's even weirder, and it's hysterical, is you'll have uh, her boning her stepbrother, who she'll play the milf of, and he is older than her, which yeah. is always fun. Porn is such a small community that you're going to end up boning the same people over and over, mm. and even more so with males. 
in porn versus females. I mean, with women, they have to compete for it like any other role. Sure. A lot of people think, oh, no, you have tons of people who could, like, porn's this big industry that they're trying to turn and burn. But really, they're picky, um, at least the casting directors I know of who they want on set, because you have to deal with that person for several hours. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to just hire anyone. So, yeah, they'll they'll try finding people that are good talent. Um, and then when it comes to men, I mean... Not a lot of men can. It's like, all right, can you stay hard for seven hours? That's pretty much it. In public? Yeah. Around cameras? Just getting really comfortable with the camera people? Yeah, you know what? I don't think I could. Like, no. like by, my, you know, by myself or with a woman or two or a couple of women, titanium erection. You could bend horseshoes around for up to nine <laughs> solid hours. I mean, very <laughs> impressive. And, Lots and, of and bingo just, biloba. Or orgasm so profound that they change the 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 flight path of birds. Uh, but if I had people watching me as I was making love, I think it would really affect my performance. I, like, I don't think I. There, but I don't want to like. I don't want to go super in depth on this. But like, don't I've had sex. It's interesting. Like, I had sex in an archery range one time, and and then I like, and I've I've had sex in a, like a couple of dressing rooms. And like they like it's just a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder, and, and that's not even with anybody watching. That's just with the expectation that e, a I might get shot by an arrow, yeah, and, and b someone might walk into the dressing room. Sure, and it's it's it's, it's more difficult. So yeah, if, if there were people watching me, and like yeah, no, nah, don't think I could do it. Yeah, the only time I ever had sex in public, I want to say it was it wasn't even a good public place. It was um a private island on like Turks and Caicos. And so it was one of those tours where they put you on a boat and they get you really drunk. And uh, they brought us out to this island and there were a bunch of bushes. So we went into the bushes like savages. Mm, nice. Yeah. And uh, we we got a sunburn Ooh. because we didn't use waterproof sunscreen. So I definitely recalled that mm. more than the boning because we were at every point in time very concerned that we were going to be caught and thrown out mm-hmm. or, I don't know, brought back to shore, I guess. Or they just like like toss you over to, uh, to Epstein's Island because you, like, you've been kicked <laughs> off our <laughs> island, so you'll go to the sex island. Oh, no, that's even worse. Yeah. Uh, by the way, whatever happened to like all of Epstein's help? I assume they were put to death. Are they still? <laughs> were they released? Like I, I don't know. Cask of Amontillado situation over there. I assume there was a dead man's kill switch when he died, where just boom, the whole thing exploded. Yeah. So then we can all be in agreement that that building that collapsed in Florida after John McAfee's death, uh, all of his people, right? Seems legit. Mm-hmm. Fair. All right. Yeah, so Epstein Island, uh, everybody's gonzo. And oh, by the way, you had John McAfee, I think, on your show. I did. For listeners, I host a non-pornographic program called The Political Orphanage, where I talk to thinkers, policy wonks, authors, and occasionally the lone, very colorful former millionaire on on the lam, uh, as was John McAfee. When I talked to him, he talked to me via a Faraday cage in an undisclosed location. I didn't know where he was, and, and uh, presumably nobody else did at the time. Yeah, he was a really interesting dude to talk to. He he spoke to me the entire time the way I would if I were addressing an underwater dome over a loudspeaker as a Bond villain of just, you have to escape the prison of your mind. Like, just the whole... T- and, like, I refused to be weirded out by him. So, like, he'd go through this whole tirade, and he was running for president. So I go, okay, um... Tariffs? You're going to increase them? You're going to decrease them? And at one point, he starts laughing because he's kind of freaked out that I'm not freaked out. Like he's freaked out that I'm actually just like very interesting point. What would you do with NAFTA? And like it just it like yeah, it weirded him out. It was a fun, fun chat though. I thought about having him on the show at one point. Um, I had a an introduction to him, but I was trying to also send him like a professional mic. And it's like, all right, you're out at sea. How do I do this? Oh, I wish you'd let me know because I like I actually just DM'd his his now late wife to give her my condolences because uh, Janice seems like a, just a lovely human being. I think John and I followed each other on Twitter. I could have done that. He would have been fascinated to talk to because I have literally never met anybody who is more id. Like there's there's no part of John McAfee's brain at any point that ever went, can I wear white to this event? That is never, ever, ever, ever a thing that man thought. He was 100% whatever I feel like doing this exact moment I'm going to do and I'm not going to overthink it at all. Right. And uh, he, he'd be interesting to talk to. Plus, like, just, man, if you were to talk to him about porn and stuff, like, that would be great. Like, like his his wife, Janice, like, they met because he'd escaped. Former sex worker. Yeah, well, I like, no, but he met, they, she was a sex worker when they met. Oh, like, yeah. Like, he literally, like, like one of his 
friends gave him a hundred dollars when he like got back into America and he immediately went to go pick up a sex worker and then they hit it off. And uh, so like, yeah, I think he would have been a fun chat. Exactly. And then he was also really big on whale fucking. So, mm, and yeah. the consent around that. Mm. Um, I felt like we definitely could have had a great conversation, but um, I don't know. It just, the timing never worked out and then COVID happened. And then I had at the time a co-host. I mean, we all know how John McAfee was on Twitter. So, mm-hmm. and kind of anti-germ theory. She had very, very strong thoughts on whale fucking. That could have, if it had ever come up, it would have been really, really caustic. I wouldn't want to be in that room. Right. Mine, by the way, orcas are fine. Everything else off limits. That's my position. I don't want to go in depth. Okay, fair. I mean, that that's kind of speciest of you. Well, mm-hmm. so we know you. you've got multiple copies of Star Trek IV. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the only way I could get to that nine-hour prolonged titanium <laughs> erection is if I, I watched the George voyage George Gracie home. on yeah. loop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There'd be whales here. Oh! God, that's a great film. I I watch I rewatched that during the pandemic, and I was worried that it wasn't going to hold up because yeah. that was probably my favorite film when I was a kid. Sure, and I thought it was so funny. And I and like and the the film holds up. It's it's funny. It, it's it's really the only like comedy romp or quasi comedy that Star Trek does, and it does it a great job. What it's promising, it delivers on. The only thing that doesn't hold up is the bizarre nineteen eighties references that William Shatner makes because he's I, I don't know if he wrote the dialogue or what, but he's like. Like they're they're walking around at one point and they're like, why would they do that? And Shatner's like, um, everybody does that kind of thing in the 1980s. It's like all the bands back then were super cool, like uh, Dancing Leopard and uh, Jack in the Box. And, and he starts mentioning all these things that were probably cool for like the week they filmed it, but no one knows anything about now. And and it, that's the only bit that doesn't that doesn't pan out. I'm actually blocked by William Shatner. Really? What'd you do? Correct him. Like his grammar? <laughs> no, on vaccines, so whoops. Oh. Yeah. He was saying they don't give autism, and you were like, fuck you. They cause autism, <laughs> you old Canadian fuck. <laughs> you caught me. I mean, it, it was a little overkill sending autistic children to his home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that crossed the line. He got the message. Agreed. He got the message. Mm-hmm. How do you keep finding more autistic children? <laughs> and, and afford the postage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is not cheap. No. Mm-mm. Oh, Mm-mm. FedEx will cost you an arm and a leg. UPS, though, they are. If you get the bulk children deal, it's okay. But you have to get the bulk children deal. Oh. It's like if you send 10, like, the weight of two, which is really, like, three, like, you can squeeze in. Pro tip, get skinny kids. Because it's all about tonnage. Paul, where can our listeners find you? You can find me <laughs> at heyscoops.com. Everything for Matt and Mattingly's Ice Cream Social is contained therein. And you can find me personally at the famous Paul on Twitter if you'd like to follow me. And Andrew, you have two podcasts, right? Or three or 17? I've got three now. So I have the Political Orphanage, which I referenced earlier, where I don't just talk to John McAfee. I talk to lots of interesting people. And I invite you to listen to that if you want to hear about policy and news from a nonpartisan perspective. I have a sci-fi podcast called Alienating the Audience that you both put on, where I, I go into the depths of science fiction and really investigate it and nerd out. Uh, and I have a comedy podcast called Friday Release Valve, uh, which I used to kind of do a segment on the regular show. Now it's a comedy show in its own right. So if you were listening to me and you're like, I don't like anything that guy says that attempts to be substantive, but I like it when he cracks jokes, then you would go that direction. But if you're like, that guy's not very funny, but very prurient, then, or wait, no, um, very substantive. Then you'd go to the political orphanage. So I, I, I leave it to you. I trust your audience. Uh, do I trust my audience? Yes, I do. Audience, you can find the full episode uh, with the video over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash two girls on mic. Uh, you could, by the way, support the show over there or just throw some money at PayPal. Uh, so two girls on mic.com, you can hit the support button and end up there. But you guys can find me, Alice, over at Rational Blonde on Twitter. You can also find the show at all places at TGOM Podcast. But please like, subscribe, leave a comment, and come back next week. Bye-bye. Bye.